On this episode of the AV Insights, we take a look at the education market. According to the IOTA report from Avixa, that market's going to grow by $5 billion in the next five years. But where is it at now? And what are they spending money on? All that and more next on the AV Insights. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Insights, Episode 2, Education Market. This is AV Insights. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Uh, we look at the research and market data that Avixa provides us through the IOTA reports and kind of take a look at what those folks in those market areas are saying. With us today, as always, Mr. Sean Wargo from uh, Avixa. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Tim. Great to be here. Uh, also, uh, along for the ride, and give us their insights first and foremost. Adrian Dayton. Adrian is from Ed's uh, Education Spaces. Welcome, or Ed Spaces. Thank you. And from Notre Dame, uh, Mr. Tim uh, Chicos uh, from Notre Dame. How are you, sir? Doing well, thank you. Awesome. So, uh, Sean, we'll, we'll kick it off with you here and, and talk about some of the things that you guys have, have uh, discovered in the IO reports and the the, the kind of the the uh, um, research that you've done. Right now, we're looking at around uh, a little bit more than, than $20 billion, uh, when it comes to um, education spaces. That's obviously going to be impacted by COVID. However, you guys are seeing over the next five years, that's going to increase by another $5 billion. Where, when, we're, when you're looking at that, what are some of the areas that you guys are seeing specifically about where that, some of those increases are coming from? Sure. It's no surprise, I think, as we all look at the, the realities of the pandemic and needing to do everything that we have normally done uh, from a more remote perspective, whether it's work or learning, uh, even events, etc. cetera, we're, we're remote participants in those activities now. So that transition, uh, particularly in the, in the higher ed space, we've been talking about you know, outfitting classrooms and, and other sorts of things just to support that, that virtualization. What it means for, for higher ed, while, as you noted, Tim, we, we have a decline in this market, you know, top-line declines in global pro-AV certainly hit very hard as some areas were, were hit uh, pretty dramatically by shutdown of events. Education is, is a little less so. So in 2020, down from a peak in 2019, we're down about 2% in terms of global revenues for pro-AV, and then that returns to growth in 2021. What's unique about education is that in 2021, we actually see revenue expectations that exceeded what was happening in 2019. In most other cases, this is not until 2022 that we receive, see a return to growth. There's a lot of theories about why that happens. I think part of it is no classrooms and, and, and education institutions are having to adapt to pandemic guidelines and, and remote learning and all those sorts of things. And so we're expecting that the EV industry is a part of that solution area, and which is why education looks a little bit better, uh, perhaps, than other categories. I think part of the hope in, in our panel today is to stress test that a little bit, just uh, kind of hear a bit more about what our panelists are seeing and hearing as boots on the ground and kind of experience their direct experience in this education market. Uh, but I think it's that, that shifting, the duality now of a... Uh, a virtualization of, uh, let's say, classroom and learning that 
is creating this opportunity inside, inside Pro-AV to make sure that our educational institutions are able to support this remote phenomenon in similar fashion that corporate and others are. But uh, certainly that's what we're here to, to push on, talk about, um, and see where you know, actual experience may differ or what challenges exist, uh, et cetera, as we go forward. Adrian, where have you seen your members spending here in the last, well, quite frankly, last six months or so? Well, definitely, um, even before the pandemic, you know, the world was really moving away from the traditional teaching methods for the educators were really the focal points of all learning, that kind of stage on the stage um, model. You know, education today is, is much more collaborative, experiential, and project-based. So that can be really extremely challenging with this remote learning. So this massive shift to distance learning and sudden need to collaborate over video conference, um, schools have really been busy extremely busy outfitting classrooms with these flexible technology systems that allow for the blended participation from all students, whether on campus or at home. Um, our members are telling us that the products that are really the, the hot picks for right now are whiteboards, um, more important than ever, um, with teachers relying on them for video presentations. Um, they're also talking about wide angle cameras, microphones that pick up sound from a distance green screens, uh, smart projectors, really anything that can help contribute to providing a high quality recording of the instruction, along with the real time student engagement, which can be, like I say, difficult in, in um, a remote setting. Is it something where, where a number of years ago, they, they were started talking about the flip classroom, right? Where um, from a pedagogical standpoint that the instructors themselves were were adjusting how they were teaching, right? And, and the, the collaboration, like you're talking about, what was happening. And, and if you're not familiar with that, it, it's where it was kind of flipping around, not only how students were given homework, but when they were, right? They were doing the homework kind of in class and do, doing, you know, um, more uh, research and, and uh, collaboration outside the classroom. From a technology standpoint, though, that was giving them the ability to have you know remote workstations and, and sharing those remote, remote remote workstations in the classroom do you think that move has maybe helped in this transition to remote because now you've got the ability to from a technology standpoint the ability to share you know multiple classrooms or multiple you know remote, remote spaces in a in an, an online environment or is that just not even anywhere close to to, to what what's happening no, I think that's absolutely happening, and it's, it's um, even more so, I think, in this environment. I know on the furniture side, which a lot of our members, you know, make the furniture that supports the technology, not only is the classroom instruction flipped, but the actual, you know, physical space is, flex, uh, is switched too. And the flexibility is more important than ever, you know, due to the limitations in the class size, you know, you're, taking, you're seeing schools taking kind of large spaces, maybe they were conference rooms or large lecture halls, and they're really having to you know, reorient them and make them into much, much smaller group settings. Um, we're seeing them, uh, spaces like dining halls, corridors, libraries, um, they're all taking on, on new dimensions yep. and becoming kind of multi-purpose accommodations for, um, to support this extended kind of learning. Um, we're also seeing in schools an interesting uh, phenomenon, which I'm sure you've probably read about too, and that's um, moving uh, learning outside particularly in warm weather locations. We're seeing that schools are purchasing Adirondack chairs, outdoor cafe and lounge seating for small group work. It's really a way to embrace and the challenges of social distancing. 
Yeah, both from the outside standpoint as well as, as the, the leveraging those cafeterias and those those bigger spaces, right, where we right. can stay six, eight, ten feet away from each other. Mm-hmm. Tim, bringing you on on this um, from from you and, and talking with your colleagues as well, whether that's at, at Notre Dame or your colleagues at other campuses, what are you hearing that folks folks have been spending money on as as we've made this transition and, and during this pandemic? Well, I've heard a lot uh, from a lot of different people, but I think mostly we all agree that audio is more important than video. So a good microphone that allows not only the professor or teacher to be heard, but everyone in the classroom to be heard for the students who aren't in the room is just as important. You know, being able to hear the professor teach is one thing, but be able to hear the conversations in the classroom, you know, I think is, is just as important. And then to have video on top of that, to be able to present whether it's with a document camera or a good camera that can zoom in on the chalkboard. These are the kind of things I think that uh, most places are, are looking to, to upgrade or to install if they don't have them. It's interesting, you mentioned that the document camera, is it something where, where regardless of where the instructor is, right? And let's talk about in the classroom for a second, whether that's a hybrid model uh, or the instructor is physically in the space and all the students are, are uh, remote where you or, or other technology managers, other folks that are helping uh, instructors kind of get this job done, where you guys are, are looking at, at different um, types of cameras, like you, what you would show for, let's say a document camera, a typical document camera is a different type of technology and, and most likely a different type of, of lens and, and you know, um, quality than you would for, you know, showing someone's face. Or is this something where, you know what, either budgets are tight or we're trying to streamline this, it's the same camera regardless of what we're showing. Um, Well, for us at Notre Dame, we've always had document cameras in every classroom and they were higher end document cameras. So from that, you know, hooking in with the Zoom, it works very well. Um, And then we also have been fortunate to always have purchased higher end equipment. So we're putting in PTZ cameras rather than, um, you know, a webcam that sits on top of a monitor. Um, I think that other universities have, you know, whether it's because of budget or because of when everybody needed them in June, availability, you know, had to go one direction or another. And I know the classroom team at at Notre Dame has been working very hard putting cameras in the day they come in. So, yeah, absolutely. Adrian and, and, and Sean, I want to get you on, on this too. Um, you, you, uh, Ed Spaces, you guys are, are transitioning to a virtual event this year, like a lot of uh, folks have been. Um, you know, uh, what are some of the benefits that your your team, both from your organization but also your members, uh, talking about moving from in-person events to the virtual uh, the virtual world? Yeah, well, this is new territory for every everyone. Our um, Ed Spaces digital experience, we're calling it. It's a little bit different because we are relying on um, like an intuitive interface and artificial intelligence algorithm to match the attendees with the both the products that they might see, the companies that manufacture them, but also the sessions that will will be pertain mostly to them, and then to make connections from attendee to attendee. So, based on some questions that they answer in the beginning, we're hoping that it still be a very appointment driven event where they can make the connections that they need to make versus just kind of the, the shotgun approach that sometimes happens even on a trade show floor. So we're looking at, you know, doing things a little bit differently. We're going to have a couple preview days with a keynote speaker and a couple of days that are just 
uh, dedicated to the dealer manufacturer community, and then open it up to more of our traditional sessions, but with a lot of interactivity, some live chat, live, live Q&A, and some pre-recorded tours and, and sessions mixed in. So we're looking forward to, the, to trying something new and seeing, um, hopefully seeing some benefits. Yeah. Sean, what, what are you finding out from, in, in talking with you know, uh, other members and, and you know, other technology folks uh, when, they're, when they're looking at transitioning over to um, you know, the virtual world uh, for their events? Yeah, I think that one of the, the questions that we've had about the marketplace and we're sort of seeing it play itself out is this shift towards, uh, let's call it democratization of broadcast. So organizations, enterprise, education, you name it, across the board, kind of in live events professionals having to shift into this mode of support for distribution of content. So we're kind of interested that in that as an opportunity area, even for pro-AV and particularly for live events professionals whose job was, you know, helping to facilitate and support in-person events, but having to pivot really rapidly um, over to this uh, more of a distributed uh, model, a broadcast model, um, let's call it even for, for these, for these companies. So we're, we're curious about that too. I know, um, Jim Chicos, you, you talked about uh, the increased events or the, the opportunity for increased events even at Notre Dame and, and whether it's uh, K through 12 opportunities and events for our memberships across organizations. I wonder about that. Is, is that somewhat what you've seen in terms of a shifting support for events, how you kind of support that audio clearly a big part is making sure we're capturing good audio. Uh, but um, even on the just pre-production, post-production content optimization side, how have things changed? Is it, is it, is it a different world? Is there, is there more need and demand there than ever before? There, there certainly is. Um, I know that when I moved over here in July, the uh, norm was say 30-ish events by the first of the month and 60 by the end of the month. And uh, for instance, last month we had 72 events on the books on the first of the month. So it, it, is, it is expanding. Um, and, and I think it's because, you know, what used to be two people who come into the studio and have a conversation for 30 minutes or an hour, and that would be live streamed to a web page, now involves us bringing in two people with Zoom and putting them each up, you know, full screen and making them simulated cameras. And then the conversation in our studio still puts all the broadcast flair of, you know, their names across the bottom and all of that kind of stuff. So it still looks like an in-studio production, but it's all taking place over Zoom. Tim, talk about some of the, the, the benefits uh, and also some of the drawbacks that you guys have noticed over the last two or three months with, with the increase with the, the virtual or the digital experience. Well, I think one of, the, one of the interesting stories was we had a client who told us during an orientation uh, Zoom meeting that they actually had more interaction than an in-person event. Hmm. And it was because if there's 300 freshmen in a classroom or in an auditorium, and someone wants to ask a question, it could be, you know, embarrassing or, or maybe they don't want to sound like that person asking that question, right? When they can do it anonymous, anonymously through the Q&A feature of Zoom, there was much more interaction and much more, um, much more ability for the people presenting to drive the conversation in the direction that maybe they would have never realized people were sitting there wondering about. And now, since it's virtual, it's a lot easier to ask a question when no one knows who you are, right? 
So. Yeah, and I've heard that that's much uh, much better for the introverted students. <laughs> and that's probably <laughs> the same goes for, for um, trade show attendees as well, you know, conference attendees. I think it, it opens up a world that they might not know about. Yeah, I know we've seen it uh, as as a content producer too here at Avixa. You know, doing doing sessions for our own virtual events, we expanded opportunity for audience. Certainly, more audiences coming to a, a given event. Uh, definitely agree. A lot more engagement questions coming in from those audiences. Of course, the the in person feedback of the facial expressions: Are you with me? Are you not with me? They can't always see that. Uh, the speaker doesn't always get to see the chat and kind of know what's going on. Um, but yeah, absolutely a, a, a plus side uh, to, to all of this that hopefully becomes a learning for us. I think as we all talk about uh, virtual uh, hybridization of events going forward, there's something to be utilized from both experiences, that in-person and that online, and, and kind of changing the way we do events um, as we go forward. I'm curious, though, about the pain points. So where where are we still seeing opportunity for improvement? What in, in both of your experiences kind of uh, not necessarily specific to your organization, but where are there opportunities for us to do better as technology companies, whether it's hardware, services, um, support, all those kinds of things together? Where does it where does it kind of hit the road for you guys? Well, for me anyway, I mean this uh, you know, our meeting here is over Zoom and Lighting is important, audio is important. I think as a manufacturer to come up with a really clean all-in-one camera, mic, light. I mean, I know they're out there. I know there's manufacturers that make them, but those are the kind of things that for a VIP event, you know, if they show up at a Zoom call and it's dark out and they don't have a window or a light and the lighting is poor, it, it, it doesn't come off looking good from a production standpoint. So. I think that that for me is one of the big things that I'm looking for is that magic one USB cable, light, camera, microphone. Yeah, I know when Tim was talking about some of the, the products that were um, really needed now and installing the cameras as soon as they arrive, and supply chains have been significantly disrupted. So it often does take longer to get what, what the schools need. Um, in some cases, you just have to pivot to a different product um, completely just to, to get the solution that you need, that the teachers are, are needing, the students need. Um, I think the one disappointing factor in this um, is really we've made so many strides in recent years toward like project-based learning and classrooms that are now substantially less collaborative due to the social distancing. So overcoming some of those challenges, um, figuring out how to work best with the furniture, for example, um, many schools were able to make do with the furniture they had um, to facilitate these, you know, less students and more distance uh, just by, you know, putting some furniture into storage, blocking off seats, that kind of thing. Um, but others really needed to invest in, in new, new equipment, you know, new things, new seating, new um, arrangements, just to make the, the, the groups kind of work better. Yeah. Adrian, I want to kind of hit on that for a second. What are you finding with with some school districts that that have traditionally had issues with funding, right? And you you mentioned the fact that that there are districts now that have to to go in and get you know brand new um, uh, furniture because of the social distancing. They're reconfiguring classrooms. They may even have to do you know uh, construction, um, not new construction, but also obviously renovations to make sure that the classrooms are big enough to to handle. What about those class those those 
those school districts that are, you know, are, are in um, the less advantaged areas of, of the country. What are you hearing back from them and how are they, how are they able to kind of overcome this to make sure that there's not, there's not a, a, you know, a group of kids that are being left behind? Yeah, well, that, that's sort of, I guess, two different questions, but I'll kind of the, I guess the overall feeling is that, you know, the hybrid learning is really here to stay. So, you know, schools and colleges, they really can't look at short-term solutions. They've got to, you know, look at what works and what they, you know, spend their money wisely um, in school K-12 to uh, circumstance because, you know, their top public dollars at, at, and same with college, public dollars being spent. But we know that schools are under incredible pressure right now. Um, they need to make be careful with their purchases, make sure they're, you know, buying things that will last. The um, portable and flexible furniture that can be easily moved and rearranged is really definitely a key um, in terms of capital spending on school building and renovation projects overall, um, those that were already approved and funded are moving forward in design. And in many cases, they'll be done and open earlier than previously scheduled. That's one positive um, <laughs> sidelight. You know, while schools were empty this spring and summer, many projects were fast-tracked and spaces were refreshed and new furniture and fixtures were added to accommodate not only distance learners, but also get ready for the return of students, whether it's now or in the future. Um, in terms of the equity, we do, we do definitely need to make sure that kids don't fall through the cracks, particularly those um, most vulnerable students, whether they're from high poverty areas without adequate funding for technology investments or those that are just have special needs or are English language learners. Um, recent research has really pointed to significant losses in learning as a result of the abrupt shift to remote instruction. So it's really important that, you know, the fund, they get the funding, this additional, you know, CARES money that's being um, talked about that's very important that everybody get what they needed. The racial and socioeconomic achievement gaps are predicted to widen even farther because of these disparities with access to computers or home internet connections or direct instruction from teachers. Yeah, Sean, I want to bring you in on, on this. There's a number of, of organizations from the, the, the commercial AV uh, industry uh, area. Uh, thinking of, of there's a, a group in Baltimore that's getting together, uh, Chris Hope, Christopher Hope from, from the Loop Lab up in Boston that are trying to help folks. Uh, they're local uh, areas. What else have you heard, uh, or if anything, uh, from our community talking about, you know, helping to kind of bridge that gap and make sure that from a technology standpoint, that, that the students that are uh, being sent home to, to remote learn, you know, it, it, as Adrian said, don't fall through the cracks. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And I think it's, it's early days. In fact, if anything, I think as we listen to Adrian, it, it should be called action, right? It's, it's what can we do? What should we be doing? Uh, you know, there's, there's certainly a lot of movement in the industry, even around issues of diversity. And, and, and I kind of view this as one of those, right? This is another aspect of the, same, of the same phenomenon where we're trying to make sure that we're dealing with racial inequities and, and, uh, and other uh, issues of, of diversity in the population. So it's another facet of it, right? And I think that's something that organizations like Avixa try to work with their members to find out where there is opportunity and interest in supporting. And, and, and clearly this sounds like one. I think if anything, it's a multi-layered challenge. Some of it is how do we collectively come together to provide uh, funding and support and technology. Um, 
you know, some individual companies are probably already doing that. And I would love to hear about some of those case studies where integrator installers are working with, say, late local K through 12 to try to make sure that kids are out are kitted in their home uh, to support with maybe uh, distributor or manufacturer backing. Uh, but I admit I don't have a lot of that information. I would love to hear more about it. And I think that this is a, it's a great call to action to, to kind of talk about it more as an industry because clearly an issue, any of us with kids certainly feel it directly, uh, whether at K through 12 or even college level. So um, yeah, let's see what we can yeah, do is the absolutely. answer. Uh, Tim, as we kind of wrap up here, I want to take a look at, at, at what you guys or maybe some of your colleagues at other colleges um, have done during this transition. Is it something where, um, you know, you guys kind of look, looked inside yourself or again, your, your colleagues, you know, Notre Dame, so you're, you're uh, close to the uh, University of, of um, Indiana or Indiana University um, or, you know, uh, just across the state line there at U of I. Um, where those folks, those technology managers at, at the higher ed level were kind of looking at themselves saying, okay, what can we do? What, what, what can we do internally? Or is it one of these things where they were looking at, at the needs going, you know what, we got to lean on our, our integrator partners or direct dealing directly with the manufacturers. What, how, how are you hearing that folks just got things done in, in these last six months? Well, I think it's been a, a good mix uh, of all those things. I know on campus at Notre Dame, we've had some outside vendors in. We've done some things internally. Um, and I know some of my friends down at IU, like you mentioned, they're uh, doing a lot of it in-house. Um, and they may use outside help as well. And, and I know some of the other guys have told me that they rely completely on outside vendors because they don't want their staff in the classrooms, um, you know, just in case of a, of a COVID situation that they sort of keep them separate, uh, the integrators from their own staff. And, you know, fortunately, I've not heard of a, a situation where things got uh, out of control with COVID. So it seems like everybody has, has really worked it out well with mixing up internal staff with outside staff. Um, real quickly on that, and, and if you can't answer this, I understand, but I, I know in talking with some, some integrator partners, not from Notre Dame on, on the Illinois side of, of this, that certain universities had, um, the integrators had to produce their, their safety guidelines, their COVID safety guidelines, and, and, pro, and provide uh, the, not just the, the personal protection equipment to their, to their employees, but demonstrate to the organizations, to the universities here in Illinois, where I am, what their guidelines are. Is that something that you're hearing that other colleges and universities are, are, are kind of asking of their, of their integrator partners? So we and, uh, you know, are doing it, I'm sure we're doing it on the installation side of things in classrooms, but I know that um, on the production side, if a cameraman, you know, we just did a football game here this weekend. And everyone, you know, all of us employees have an online form we fill out every single day, Saturday, Sunday, holidays. We fill it out every day. And if anyone comes on campus to work for us, they either do it on paper or if they're able electronically, the, basically the same form. So we can track if anyone has had anything, you know, brought something on the campus and who they interacted with those days and even even to, to get into the stadium on game day, we have our uh, temperatures taken on the way in the door. So, wow, 
Very good. Adrian, uh, kind of back to the, the first question I asked him, what are you hearing from your members uh, as far as, as what they're doing? Uh, typically for, for K-12, they typically do rely a lot on their integration partners. But are you hearing them going more and, and focusing more internally and, and just kind of getting the job done that way? Or are they, you know, really leveraging uh, the partnerships that they have both with the integrators, but also with the manufacturers as well? Yeah, that is a bit out of my wheelhouse, to be honest. Um, but I really think it just depends on the size of the school and district and the members that they're, you know, they're working on as far as whether they have the in-house in teams or not. I do know that the needs of a large school district are massive, um, so expertise is often needed from outside. And whether you're talking about integration, equity access, they're bringing in all kinds of experts to to help them figure it out. And um, you know, a process that might normally take sort of years in the planning, they just had to fast track and make it work. So and they really did an incredible job. I'm, I'm amazed that um, all that can be accomplished in a short period of time. <laughs> All right. Uh, as we all kind of wrap up here, and, and Sean, I'll start with you since you're the, the researcher. Uh, what do we see for next year? What do we see in, in 2021 and maybe even into 2022 uh, for this market? Yeah, as where we started on the, on the call today, I think we're certainly looking at 2021 as, as recovery year pretty much across the board. I think timing of that is, of course, a, a continuing question as we look at uncertainty. But in higher ed, as we noted, this is one of the markets where we see a little bit um, faster recovery. And I think we're hearing a little bit on this call about the, the state of demand and just the, the number of projects, the number of events, the complexities, the challenges with um, uh, addressing pain points in the schools, whether K through 12 or higher ed. Um, that, that to me supports this notion that, that 2021 is certainly a continuing story of adaptation and uh, evolution um, updates, et cetera, to, to our capacity to support what will be, in some cases, remote learning for at least probably part of the year. And, and uh, even without it, um, adapting to kind of new, new guidelines as we go forward. So here's to 2021, uh, looking a lot better than 2020. I think we all could probably universally agree there. Uh, but uh, certainly on the pro-AV side, I, I, I continue to see uh, education as, as an opportunity area as we as that market evolves. Right. Tim Jenkins, what, what do you see uh, from your, your your vantage point, but also your your cohorts at, at different universities? Um, I think, you know, Notre Dame was very um, ready to move forward with in-person classes. We had our little, uh, we like to call it a setback where we went completely online for two weeks, but everyone's back in class now. And uh, they just announced that we're going to take an extended 10-week break in between semesters and come back in February straight through May to get the spring semester in. And um, I think if everyone works together as, you know, the, uh, from, from the top all the way down to us at the university there, you know, if we all work together, we've proven we can stay ahead of this. And I, I really see 2021 as being a good, strong recovery year for in-person things. I mean, I think the university having students in the football stadium, having students living on campus and having it, having it work yeah. is, uh, is showing that if we stick together, it, it, we can make this happen. Absolutely. Adrian, you'll have the last word on this. Where do you see, uh, where do you see 2021 heading? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, I think that it's just the pandemic has really changed the face of education in a number of ways, both positive, you know, mostly positive because it's allowed people to learn how to learn differently. Yeah. So whether it's repurposing the spaces or 
introducing new technology. I think it's, it's exciting and, you know, because of the, the creativity that's out there and the need to educate all students, you know, it's going to be a, a, a banner year. All right. Very good. That'll be a good way, way to stop it. Uh, thank you all so much. Adrian, we'll start with you. Adrian, uh, thank you. Uh, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, well, Tim, I did want to mention that it's, it's yep. the Education Market Association is who I actually work for. Right. And our trade event is called Ed's Faces. So I can be reached at um, adayton at edmarket.org. Very good. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Tim, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people get a hold of you? Obviously, you know how to get a of, of Notre Dame, but uh, uh, how to get a hold of you? Uh, Tchikos at nd.edu. Very good. And Mr. Wargo, how do we get a hold of you or uh, Avixa if we so choose? Uh, feel free to reach out to me directly at swargo at avixa.org. Start a conversation with us at hashtag Avixa Intel. Uh, come to our site more to our website for more information about research. Very good. For us, for Aviation, go by the website, avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. You'll find programs like this and a host of others, including two weekly news programs. One looks at the commercial side of the AV industry. The other looks at the residential side, uh, AV Week and Resi Week, respectively. One post on Monday, the other on Wednesday. So all that and more at avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv.